Welcome to the Breaking to Startups podcast, where we interview people who came from non-traditional backgrounds and who found jobs in tech. On today's episode, we chat with Emily Rishapi about what it means to do sales at a startup. Having worked for a small startup and companies with thousands of employees, Emily contrasts the differences between the interview process, team dynamics, and compensation. Working for a startup doesn't mean your job is going to be easy. More often than not, nobody is going to hand you the script, so you have to write the script. Emily also shares the red flags that anyone interviewing for a job should watch out for and the questions that you should be asking your interviewer to ensure that you're screening them just as much as they're screening you. You don't want to miss this. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Arch and Timor Meister, and this is the Breaking Stars Podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, we're here with a very special guest. We're sitting um, at Hack Reactor's Alumni Lounge on a Tuesday at 7.30. So just talking about breaking into startups. Arthur, take it away. Yeah, so today we have Emily Rishapi, who is an account executive at Cisco WebEx. And before that, she was a sales development representative at an infrastructure startup called Instart Logic. And we're going to talk with her about her sales journey and then some advice for how to break into a sales role at a startup. Emily, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about um, kind of where you're from and what were you interested in uh, kind of in your early years? Cool. Well, first of all, thanks guys for having me. I'm really excited to uh, work with you and talk to you guys. This is an awesome, awesome, awesome project you have going on. So yeah, a little bit about me and my background. I am from Santa Cruz, California. So NorCal girl through and through. Happy to be in San Francisco. Perfect match, if you ask me. And uh, yeah, so I think that going back, I went to school in California, always been in California, knew I wanted to come to the Bay Area. It's close to my family, close to home. And it's where my dad, you know, kind of launched his career and seeing the success he's had over the years and the life that he has been able to provide for my family and myself. It's inspiring me to create that life for myself here as well. And uh, there's a ton of opportunity in San Francisco. So I think it's a, it was a good choice for me and uh, continues to show, you know, that I've made the right decision. Starting kind of, you know, where I, my personality is, you know, not traditional, I guess, sales. It's, I've been a little bit more artistic most of my life growing up. If I could have gone to school for anything, I would have gone to school for art history. And I, you know, wanted to be a curator in the Louvre in France right now with some Parisian boyfriend eating a baguette. It's <laughs> kind of the dream. But, you know, I talked to my dad a lot more and uh, I ended up going to school for international economics and international business is what I minored in. Definitely a little bit more of a traditional route. I think it opened a lot of doors for me in terms of internships going through my education and college career. And uh, my dad has been a big influence both like professionally and you know as I move throughout my career. So ultimately after school, just knowing that I had a natural act and ability to do sales, that's kind of what started my journey looking for jobs right out of college in sales. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I completely understand. As an artist myself, you know, I'm a cellist and my child teacher also advised, you know, that 
you should go the business route first, maintain the music along the way. And then, you know, mm-hmm. eventually you could be a supporter of the arts and fund it and have a vested interest in, it, in yourself as well. And so, you know, kind of tell us a little bit more about like what your sales journey was or like kind of like what you were doing in college after listening to your father and like what led you to that path? Yeah. So, so the sales journey was pretty much asking because I didn't really know the different types of roles that you can do in sales. I was still very much holding on to the idea that I could be creative and maybe do a marketing type of a route. So, you know, just the beginning of the journey was really asking my dad all kinds of questions like, what type of company should I be looking to work at? What's an account executive? What's outside sales? What's, you know, headhunting? What's prospecting? Because I as a college student that's ready to graduate, you're looking at these descriptions and these roles and you have no idea what they really mean. And I think that's actually what ended up kind of starting the journey in a little bit of a backwards way. I ended up taking an outside sales role as an account executive for a company called Worldwide Express. They do their third-party resellers. So it's an entire organization of just salespeople. So they don't actually have any type of product that they sell. They resell UPS. So going into a very heavy sales, conservative, traditional atmosphere right out of college was a big eye-opener. They are the type of sales organization that trains 50 new graduates at a time, take no prisoners. You know, you always hear these horror stories of really traditional sales roles where you're in training and people are crying and you're doing your pitch. And that's pretty much exactly how it was. (laughs) We got to do pitches in front of, you know, the VP of sales, this entire company. And he would just rip kids apart, like recent grads in the middle of all your peers. And if you can't hack that or stomach that, you know, the role that we were going into was an outside sales role. So customer facing, my job was essentially to go knock on people's doors, try to convince the gatekeeper that I was there to see the owner or the CEO or the, you know, executive in the company, convince them to then have a meeting with me on the spot and then try to buy business in person. You know, it's called like cold and close. So that as, you know, a 23 year old was rattling because you don't have time to second guess yourself. You don't have time to stand there and say, um, like you're in front of, you know, the owner of a business, you need to be professional and keep it together. On top of that, you know, just the very stick to the numbers, stick to the script type of sales. It's good to get a thick skin that way. It's good to get rejection. It's good to learn if you can handle it and how to handle it. So got it. So so you got that job just by, you know, asking questions to your dad mm-hmm. and understanding what the terminology was and just applying and you got the job. Yeah, I was interviewing in a couple different sales roles. I also looked into technical recruiting. It's a, you know, it's got similar sales echelons type to it but ultimately just went for the traditional sales route. And then really I chose the role because it was in San Francisco and I knew that's where I wanted to be. The other ones I was looking at were down in LA in Southern California. And I, they're just, to me in the long run, like, okay, what if this doesn't work out? Where am I going to go next? And there just wasn't as much opportunity. What was the interview process like? So the interview process for recent grads, I think is all the same, especially because I've been on the other end of the interview process where I've been interviewing recent grads. It's a lot of Tell me about your internships. Tell me about what you learned from your classes. And then it's more of a test of can you handle not knowing? 
can we teach you what we need to teach you? We don't, as a company, you don't expect the person to come in and know how to be, know how to pitch the product that they're selling, right? They just want to see if you're the type of person that's going to be able to listen to a pitch and then recite it back and be confident, say it in your own way, be convincing. And ultimately, is this the type of person that is selling themselves? Because if you can sell yourself, then you could probably sell the product that they want you to sell. So being uh, on the other side of the interview table, what kind of soft and hard skills are you looking for? Like, What are some of the things that stand out about a candidate that immediately let you know that, hey, that would be a good candidate? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the traditional things that most companies look for is the experience, like what type of internships did they do? If it's a kid that did an internship with HP or Dell or, you know, any type of big company, obviously shows that that kid's got hustle, right? They're going to make it into, because those are very competitive internships. So knowing that that person is competitive, that's great. A big thing that everyone always looked for was, you know, fit in terms of if you're an athlete, you're probably going to be competitive, right? So I was an athlete growing up. A lot of the people on my teams are athletes. A lot of the people, they're in clubs, they're in social settings. They already have that natural ability to want to work with people, to be on teams, to you know, find ways as a whole to be successful. Those are the types of people that you know, fit well into a sales org. Cool. So looking back, if someone was asking you for advice on how to break in, what would you watch out for or how would you advise them? I think that what I would advise them is what makes you feel comfortable? Who are you around that make you laugh, that make you funny, that make you personable? Find those traits and how you develop them and then learn to develop them with strangers, right? Because everyone can be funny in their group of friends. Everyone can be outgoing. But if you can't develop those skill sets with a group of strangers, then that's going to be the hardest part because that's essentially what sales is, right? Is being best friends with the person you're selling to. Got it. Got it. And so, so you started in this kind of like lower level role, mm-hmm. grinding it out. You know, walk us through, you know, the next steps in your sales journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that most people start off in sales as a sales development rep or a business development rep. There's different terms for it, but it essentially all means the same thing. You are doing the outreach. You are headhunting. You're finding the business. You're booking the meetings. You're building pipeline. And essentially, you're probably supporting a higher level salesperson. Once you prove yourself in that role, you you hit your quota of meetings booked. You contribute X amount of dollars to new pipeline. You've maybe assisted in closing a deal in some way for your account executive. You'll most likely get promoted to an inside sales role. And that's a role where you're going to be closing over the phone. So it's the first closing role. And every company is going to ask you when you're interviewing for your first sales role, do you want to close? Do you want to be in sales? You have to say yes. You have to be a closer. You have to want to bring in new business and you can't be afraid to do that because those people are going to be people that are going to make that company money. So that's the people that they want on their teams. And then after, so essentially once you've booked meetings, then it's your chance. You're going to close business. You're probably going to close smaller size deals. It's going to be over the phone. It's going to be high transaction most of the time, you know, just closing as many deals as you can because, you know, that's what your job is now is to close deals over the phone. They don't necessarily probably have the money to send you out into the field or you're not at that role yet where you're customer facing. So after my sales development role, that's what I did. I moved into an inside sales role and I was working with customers. My uh, territory was New York. So I was working with customers on the East Coast and trying to close business with people in New York. 
I would go out there every once in a while and work with my my extended team. But yeah, that's where I went next. Yeah. So um, it sounds like you got to experience several different roles working like kind of right out of school. So what actually motivated you to consider switching over to a smaller company? Yeah. So right out of school, I went for a bigger corporate company because I wanted that training and I wanted the ability to be taught, you know, the basics, right? You can't have, you need a foundation, sales 101, how to handle objections, how to, you know, properly conduct meetings, that kind of stuff is what you need to learn, how to prospect, how to cold call. And ultimately, you know, this opportunity came along at my last company in Logic, And I was one of the first, you know, five people on the sales team, one of the first 50 people in the company. I was so confused by the technology. I tried to go on their website and figure out what they were doing, but, you know, still very early stages. So they didn't even have their focus or their, you know, marketing necessarily narrowed down either. I remember working a lot with my dad trying to prepare for the interview because it was relatively rigorous interview process. I think that startups tend to be a little bit more pickier with who they add to their teams, both, you know, on the technical side and the marketing side, on the business side, because, you know, it's one week wheel and the entire thing and it's noticeable. Like if you go into a 50 person team on a huge corporate company and you're slacking, people might not notice. If you go into a five person team and you can't get the job done, people will know right away because everyone is giving everything they have to make it work. So the opportunity came along. I had, they offered me shares in the company and just ultimately an opportunity to grow really quickly in my career. And that's what I think a lot of people look for to start up is how am I going to climb the corporate ladder if that's a 50 person team in a corporate company versus a five person team? So it was a chance for me to get to an account executive role or a closing role faster. Yeah. So throughout your career, you've been taking chances. You weren't afraid to deal with rejection. And then after you had a few years of experience under your belt, you decide to move over to startups. When you were going through that interview process, what sort of questions were they asking you? Maybe you can give some examples. And how did you prepare for that? Yeah, they asked me a lot more about personal contributions. Like the corporate company before, it was like, you know, why are you a good team player? Stuff like that, more generic stuff. And the startup, they're looking to add, you know, a fifth per- or a sixth person to a five person team. They're going to want to make sure that person fits on that team. What are you bringing to the table? So I had to, you know, figure out because I'd only been at my previous company a couple of months. So I was still young. Um, I think I was 23 or 24. I had to figure out really quickly, like, what are my strengths? How can I take my sales experience, which isn't very much, and make it into this big picture that's going to show them I'm going to be the salesperson on their team that's going to take their sales team to the next level. So it's a lot more, you know, what can you add to the team and individual accomplishments? Where do you see yourself? Yeah, bigger picture types of questions. And then of course, you know, they want to see that you can actually do the sales job. So I had to learn the pitch or give a mock pitch in my best ability because I didn't know the product yet. So that was a bit more kind of scary because you know, other com- like my previous companies didn't really ask me to do the pitch or anything. They're like, we'll teach you that. You'll, you'll learn that. This one was like, hey, do research on our product and you pitch us. So I had to be prepared to know some technical questions, prove that I could do research on my own time. So really, they're just looking for effort. Mm-hmm. How badly do I want that role? Got it. Got it. And so 
What were some of the most frustrating things that you had to deal with on the job? It sounds so far, it sounds like everything was kind of like a breeze, even though like the questions were harder. But, you know, a lot of people deal with frustration. So we'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Every single day was a frustration. (laughs) Um, It's you're going into an environment, especially for me, where before I had a script where it told me exactly what to say. They had the formula to success. We've been doing this for 10 years. These are what our sales rep do. They're successful. You do that. Going into a role, we're like, all right, so we are trying to build pipeline. We These are the types of verticals we want to go after. These are the size of companies we want to go after. Go find the people that we need to get in front of. And so the frustration was, you know, I'm not very far along in my sales career. I don't necessarily know what I'm doing, but neither do the people that I'm working with because we're a startup and they don't have the formula for success. So writing the formula for success, that's frustrating because in order to be successful, you have to do a lot of things wrong. And when you're young, I especially think in this generation, the instant gratification and, you know, having a lot of praise and that kind of stuff, you're not necessarily prepared all the time for failure and knowing that your failures shape that formula. So knowing that I had to go in every day and do 10 things wrong just to get one thing right, that's definitely frustrating. But you know, once you get that one thing right, then you get to tell everyone in your team, I figured this out. We're going to use this best practice. And that's what everyone was doing, you know, just trying to figure out what's the right way to do things, what's the fastest way to do things, what's the most efficient way to do things. So sounds like experimentation is really important. It's very similar mm-hmm. to like rapid prototyping and things like that, right? Yeah. Nice. So Instalogic is a pretty kind of pretty technical company, right? They're selling infrastructure to enterprises. So what did you do to get to, uh, up to speed on their technology and sound uh, confident in your pitches with people you're selling it to? Yeah, sounding confident on the pitches was probably the hardest part of it because you know, I'm on the phone with CTOs because that's who, you know, is buying the software that we were selling and essentially trying to convince them that I knew what I was talking about enough <laughs> to scratch the surface. I think a lot of it was how badly do you want to know it? How badly do you want to feel confident on the phone? Because there's always a threshold, right? There's always the minimum amount of work that you can do to sound convincing. I um, mean, that's with any type of sales. You can practice a script a thousand times or you cannot and just sound confident. So for me, and I think most people on the team, it was getting any and all material that the company had on the product. And then of course, working with the different teams. This was the first time I'd ever been in the same you know company with a lot of really technical engineers, a lot of really technical product people. I mean, the company itself recruited people with computer science PhDs, like the top tier talent in Silicon Valley that are working on their product. And you know, they have funding from Andreessen Horowitz, Tanaya, Greylock, like the top tier venture capitalists. So they were recruiting like the best engineers. So really being able to go to the engineers at their computer and being like, hey, I don't understand what this part does to the product and having to, you know, figure out a way. How do I communicate? How do I learn from them when I've never been, you know, exposed to this stuff before? So definitely a lot of self-teaching, a lot of asking questions. Um, And then, of course, on the fly, right, having solutions engineers on the call with me so that when I don't know a question, they answer it. I learn from that. And maybe next time I'll answer that question differently. Got it. Got it. And then also like working in sales, you know, at least for me, you know, I know tonality is something that's 
we talk about a lot. I know like with a female voice, it's, it's a little bit easier just because it sounds more pleasant to the ear. But was that something that was coached to you or did you just kind of like learn on your own? You know what's so interesting that you asked that question? Because I've never thought of that until the other day when I was talking to a good friend of mine. He works at Salesforce and he was we were both talking about these deals that were trying to get closed. And he was like, yeah, you know, sometimes I got to pump the brakes and, you know, I can't call them as much and leave as many voicemails. And I was like, oh, that's so weird. I literally call them every single day <laughs> and leave a thousand voicemails. And they always, you know, when I get them on the phone, they're like, hey, I'm really sorry about that. Like, let's get this done now, Emily. And, you know, they're always like really accommodating. And he's like, well, yeah, because it's easier to listen to a woman's voice. They're not going to get pissed off if they hear five voicemails from a woman's voice every single day. And I was like, <laughs> I never thought of that. I definitely think that I sound very crass and annoying, but I guess that's not the case. So it definitely wasn't taught to me and wasn't even brought to my attention until recently. I think it's just confidence and the ability to slow down, you know, articulate what your thoughts are, believe that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. And so is your team a good balance of male and female? No, <laughs> it is not. I'm on a team right now of eight guys on my team before it was mostly men and then two women in the office as a whole, though, on my sales floor, much better balance. But then again, we just have more people. So by default, there's going to be more women on my startup team. There's only eight of us and two of us were women, three of us were women. So got it. And how does that, that affect kind of like your day to day you know, work life? I don't realize it every, you know, during the day to day because I've, it's been like that for so long. I mean, my first job right out of college was a team of four and I all three guys and then me, much smaller environment. So that was like close quarters. So it's just been that way for so long that I don't know any different. It gets a little difficult because it's a lot of, it's a big boys club sometimes. I know I hate to say that and feed the stereotype, but it's true. It's a lot of, talking about sports. It's a lot of, I can't say that. That would be really inappropriate. <laughs> it's a big ego. Tinder and Bumble. <laughs> it's, it's a big ego competition sometimes. Like, yo, bro, what closed this deal. What, yeah, well, I got this one coming in. And I kind of like that. I've always been a tomboy. I lived with four guys right before I graduated from college. I grew up with having guys as my best friends. So I think that I don't feel uncomfortable about it. I don't feel like the minority. I don't feel like you know, I'm getting any type of like short end of the stick just makes it that much better when I beat all the boys. So awesome. So for people who want to break in into the sales roles, how would you advise them to approach this type of interview? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, we're looking for outgoing, confident people, people that, you know, when they show up to the interview, they are ready to look you in the eye, shake your hand and answer your questions, you know, directly truthfully, you're looking for someone that's the type of person that other people are going to want to work with. Because first of all, they have to be able to sell to their mm -hmm. customers. Second of all, they have to be able to work on a team, right? For the startup I was at, you got to be able to walk down to the engineers and find a common ground with the engineer because maybe you need those engineers to get the deal done. You never know. So you need someone that's going to be able to work with other people because you know, sometimes you might be the type of salesperson that's just closing deals on your own, but there is going to be the day that comes when you're going to have to work with either different people on the customer's side or different people from internally. And you got to be able to work with everyone. You got to be a team player. 
I personally looked for someone that was really hungry. I know that's something that people say all the time, but they're not just looking to have job security. I mean, everyone looks for that, but you know, sometimes going to a startup is a risk. You're not guaranteed your role, especially in sales. If you don't hit your number, you might get fired. So if that isn't something that scares you because you're so confident that you are going to hit your number, that's the type of salesperson that people want. So Got it. Got it. And related to Timo's questions about getting prepared for these types of interviews, I know you had your dad to help you answer the questions. Are there any resources or books or movies that people could watch to understand the terminology, the sales cycle, and just different things like that to get ready for these types of interviews? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, if I'm interviewing for a role, this is what I do. I find the people that I'm going to be interviewing with. I look at them on LinkedIn. I might look where they went to school. I try to find common ground. I might try to un- understand who they might be, which is kind of hard to do, right? But you just try. You get a good sense of the type of people that they might be hiring. One thing I learned recently was reach out to the person in that role that you're interviewing for. Ask them what they like about it, what they don't like about it, how their interview went. Most people are going to be more than willing to answer your questions. Second thing I do is cram, right? You try to find as much or get as much knowledge on whether it's a product that they're selling, their competitors, huge. Know the competitors in your space because you know your competitors, you know what to look for, you know how to differentiate. And that's what the company wants to do is differentiate themselves. So research the company, research the product, find out who's on the team, find out where the executives came from. If it's a startup, who's funding them? What other companies are that startup or is that VC funding? And then, you know, try to read the blogs or the press about the company. So then you get maybe a better understanding of the outside. What are people saying about this company? You know, on any given website, they're going to say they're the best company ever. But if you read the blogs and the posts or you go to TechCrunch and you find out, you know, more information about it, then I think you'll get a better understanding of, okay, what are other people saying? So, yeah. Got it. And related to career path, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, what's the upside in these types of roles? How does it compare to like engineering or design or marketing? And a lot of it's hazy for a lot of people. I know it tends to be salary plus commission. Sometimes it's commission just on an individual contributor basis. And then it's sometimes it's commission based off of a region basis or it's a hybrid model. But, you know, can you talk a little bit about that, how it differed between startup and corporate environment and, you know, shed some light there? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, you know, a great question because it differentiates like quite a bit. First and foremost, you know, at the startup that I was at, quota changed every quarter. What we were measured on in our parameters of success changed every quarter. And that's ultimately because, you know, they don't know what to gauge or what the range is going to be because no one's done it before. So I would definitely say that at the startup, it's, I know that for the account executives in that role, it was a higher payoff. We're not going to be able to give you maybe as high as a base, but you're the only person with a territory of Europe. So you have the chance and the opportunity to go make a lot more money. Just the guarantee that you're going to make that money isn't as, you know, it's not as much there because they don't know, right? They don't know how much you're going to make in one month versus how much you're going to make in a year. Whereas at the corporate company, you know, when I was working with my recruiter, she was like, this will be your OTE. We have reps that are... What's LTE? I'm sorry. <laughs> on target earnings. So one thing I've also learned as I've you know progressed and developed in, in my sales roles is don't be fooled by the fancy terminologies because 
a recruiter could tell you, yeah, your on-target earnings for this role is going to be 200000 Great. How many of your reps are hitting their OTE? And how many of your reps are hitting quota? What does your quota look like? How many consistent quarters has that been the quota? You know, what are reps doing differently at this company to hit their quota versus other companies really being prepared to kind of call their BS? That's what I've learned definitely throughout this because, you know, necessarily at a startup, I wasn't hitting the OT that was promised and that wasn't anything on the company. It was just, it's unpredictable. They don't know what the sales cycles are going to look like or how each deal is going to turn out. Whereas, you know, at the company I'm at now, Cisco, there's no room for negotiation. Like this is the base. And that's because we have thousands of people that are on the same base. And this is what you get. However, our OTE is this amount. And we can tell you exactly how many people are hitting OTE, how many people are in accelerators. And that's, you know, that's enticing. Got it. Got it. And so you broke down kind of like the different roles like SDR, Mm -hmm. you know, then the AEs, et cetera. Can you kind of like give a range for like what that looks like from a salary and comp perspective for a lot of people? Yeah, let me try to, th- I mean, and it's going to be different, especially as companies get more money. It might even be slowing down now from what I've recently been reading about is that, you know, funding is becoming a little bit more scarce and the economy is going to change. But I think that anywhere from 40K to 60k for a beginning sales role, sales development, business development rep. It's probably around average, obviously 40 being on the lower side, but then they might offer you a better comp plan or more commission or, you know, x amount of accelerators. They'll make it enticing in some sort of way. And then, you know, some of the best account executives in Silicon Valley, they're making, you know, 300 300,000 plus OTE. I would definitely, you know, when I was looking for account executive roles, I was OTE on target earnings, you know, of a hundred more. So, and that it could be split right now. I have a 50 split. I have 50% of that that's salary based and 50% of that that's my commission based. How obtainable is my commission going to be? Because at the startup before I had, you know, 70, 30, where I had a lot higher base, but not necessarily a better commission structure after that. And that's probably comes from the uncertainty of not knowing. So you typically eat what you kill. And so like if your mm-hmm. base is like 50-50 split, starting 40 to 60, you're probably making between 80 to 100K mm-hmm. first year. Mm-hmm. Great. So what other pitfalls would you say um, if someone hasn't done sales before and they're trying to break into a startup, what are those red flags that they should watch out for? Yeah, I would definitely ask for timeline. Ask how long their current reps are in this role that they're currently interviewing for. What's the progression like? How do they get promoted? What are the key parameters for success? What are the most successful reps doing? What are they doing differently? Definitely ask about that because the last thing that you want to do is accept a job as a you know sales development rep where you're cold calling and you're prospecting and you're doing outreach because that's hard. Cold calling is super hard. No one likes it. I mean, unless you do, which is super weird, but it's hard. So the last thing you want to do is get into a role where you're cold calling for a year plus. Probably shouldn't be doing that. There needs to be more progress. I think sales progresses pretty quickly. So you want to look for how quickly they can progress. I think bigger companies will make you stay in the roles a little bit longer. And that's just because, you know, they have a lot more people. They have a lot more protocol. They have a lot more hoops to jump through. A startup, you could be 
in a sales development role and kill it and be promoted to, you know, the next big thing in three months or more. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really what you make it. And related to some of those types of things, like you mentioned a lot about metrics and how you're evaluated. And I know that um, at startups, especially like those metrics change a lot, but what are some of the most common, like I know, no cold calls and maybe like email sent or, or like how do they evaluate it? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of um, the lower level sales, like sales development reps and business development reps are measured on their activity levels. You know, 100 cold calls a day, 300 emails sent, LinkedIn messages, Twitter. I mean, I've booked a meeting over Twitter. So get creative. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, how many meetings have you booked or maybe how many demos have you booked or how many, you know, depending on what type of company, I guess you could potentially running your own demos as a sales development rep. So and then, you know, what size deals are those? Are you bringing really, really big like whale of accounts? Are you breaking into really big accounts? Like that's impressive for a sales executive, especially an account executive. You want your SDR to be booking you meetings with the CTO of a huge account that you've been trying to get into. That's what you want. If you can do that, then your metrics are getting measured on, you know, exactly what I just said, like those metrics. And then of course, like how successful you are breaking into accounts. Cool. And I guess once you're an accountant, so you kind of described the more like kind of earlier stages as a sales rep. And then once you become an account executive, like how does your mindset change? And then how do you evaluate which opportunity to go after? Because you've kind of have the experience, you've proven yourself as a sales rep. So then what is the next thing? Do you decide based on compensation, kind of career progression, like anything else? So as a sales development rep, and let's assume that you then get promoted to an inside sales rep with the same company. So you take all that knowledge of who are you going to be booking the meetings with? Who are the people that are actually buying? How long is the sales cycle? What are the big objections that you see within the sales cycle? And who are your champions, right? Who are the people both internally and on the other side, externally in the other company that are the people that help push that deal through? So you take all that knowledge as a sales development rep and then you apply it to yourself because now, you know, there's this fear of, okay, I'm not just handing this deal off for someone else to take control of. I'm running with this deal. So time management's big, right? Because you can't be wasting a ton of time breaking into accounts that are never going to buy. You can't be wasting your time having conversations, you know, week-long conversations with people that aren't the decision makers. That's qualifying, right? Is that mm-hmm. what they call yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> Qualifying. So qualifying the deals and making sure that you have everyone on the same page. So if it's a deal that is going to require, you know, multiple people from the technical side, make sure you find out who those people are and bringing them into the deal early on and often. And so I guess I'd say time management, qualifying, and then being able to ask for help because most likely you haven't closed before if you've just been promoted into an inside sales rep ask for help from anyone and everyone that will help you close this deal. So so what are you up to now? Like, what are your plans for the future? So right now I'm an account executive at Cisco WebEx. I've been, you know, closing a ton more business, which is great. I think that any sales rep feeds off of success and closing deals, just fire going. But I think that going back to my creative roots is somewhere where I see myself going. And I was recently talking to a good friend of mine who works in HR at Google. So her entire job is to help people figure out where they want to move within the company, where they see themselves. And Google's a huge company, so they have tons of different types of roles. 
So she was asking me like, well, what do you, what are you really good at? I'm pretty good at sales. I can do it. You know, it's in my blood. It's in, been passed down from my dad to me. And it's natural. It feels natural when I'm doing it. I feel good when I'm doing it. I'm seeing success. So I'm good at sales. And she's like, well, what do you love? Okay. Well, you know, I, I do love technology, but there's so many different types of products and it's so changing that do I see myself being in the world where I'm going to be tied down to a product that I didn't create my own? I'm a creator. I'm an artist. I want to have that. So maybe not. She's like, well, I love art. And she's like, you know, have you ever considered selling art? I'm like, <laughs> how have I not considered this? <laughs> so I actually see myself, you know, as of right now, a lot of my time, a lot of my free time I spend, I go to galleries in the city. I go to art openings. I go to exhibits. I go to museums. And a lot of that time is by myself. That's what I do to unwind. And I've found that, you know, I might not be technically trained in the arts, but for as long as I can remember, you know, my first time in Europe seeing the Mona Lisa and Monet's pieces, like those are the things I can spend hours doing with nobody around at all and still be, you know, completely happy and satisfied. So I think trying to break into that art world potentially and maybe being a private seller for investors or art collectors or working for a museum or even, you know, just to get started is working, you know, part-time at a museum and seeing what that's like. Have you ever considered praying out maybe like with an engineer and then coming up with some sort of like product idea or art-related sales idea to promote it? Potentially. I've definitely thought in terms of um, doing a creative side of like like a design design team almost. Like how do we want to make our website look? How do we want to market our brand? Doing more of like the visual design aspect of that and becoming painting the picture of a company. But then I think that that would mean that I would have to kind of break into graphic design, which I'm not opposed to. I'm open to that as well. But I think that I'm also really good at doing sales and doing the face-to-face interaction, you know, the people aspect of that. So I think that, you know, at the end of the day, I'd still want to get in front of that person and like close deals. So. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> that, that's blog. interesting. And that's, that's kind of like how, you know, Arthur and Timor and I met each other. When he was in college, he used to run a website buying and selling art. Um, so it's interesting that you have that same similarity. I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely a tough business, but if you could position yourself and you're uh, good at selling, then hell yeah. Yeah. Well, I can imagine because the best when I am selling the best and I'm most invested in a sale is when I'm really like interested with the company that I'm working with or the person that I'm working with or selling to. So I can't imagine if I was selling art, which is something I'm so extremely passionate about, how much better of a salesperson I would become. (laughs) I heard the commissions are pretty good, too, on art. (laughs) I guess it just depends on what like what part of it. I think that it'll be a lot about who I know and how to even make money selling art, where I need to go. I need to rub shoulders with the right people. There's a book called The $4 Million Stuff Shark that talks a lot about the economics and art. That's oh, really? interesting. I'm going to have to have you write that down for me afterwards. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Great. So with that said, uh, we're going to move on to the final part of our podcast, and that's the lightning round. So Arthur, Rubit, and I, we're basically going to ask you several questions Try to give us short responses, but at the same time, include any tactics, strategies, or resources that you've used to become good at sales and just be successful at what you do. Cool. Nice. So imagine if you had to start over again and you had $100, you got dropped in a completely new city. What would you do and where would you start? Hmm. All right. That's tough. 
I would probably invest. I would probably start investing more. I bought my first uh, stock shares this year. So that was exciting for me. And I don't think I ever would have done that before. But knowing that, you know, when you're young, $100, you're like holding on to that $100. I would invest. I would just try to find a company that I think is cool, that I like the product, and then just invest my money. Take a little risk. Awesome. Yeah, no, financial literacy is important. So related to like frustrations and things like that. So throughout the process, we talked a little bit about that. But was there any like music or movies or blogs that you read or someone that you talked to that inspired you to get through that frustration? Honestly, my dad, I keep going back to him, but at any given time, I'll, I always kind of find it funny. I'll go to his LinkedIn and I'll just see what he's up to because he's so humble about it. He would never be like, I'm currently on the board of you know XYZ companies and I have this investment in this company. And he's been the CEO of you know a couple of different companies, the VP of sales. He's a private consultant now, so people come to him. You know, he does joke sometimes when I was at my company before my startup. He'd be like, "Just have them pay me like three hundred dollars, and I'll come fix your shit. <laughs> I'll come fix stuff for you." So just knowing that he has that reputation and has been there and has been successful, I know that I can do that. I know that I have that guidance because. He's one of the best of the best, and uh, it's good for me to have that just in my back pocket. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's interesting you you say that about your father because a lot of people talk about how sales is a, a quick path to the CEO seat, even like presidential roles. They talk about a lot of that type of stuff too. So trajectory is interesting. Yeah, to talk but about. it sounds like you found someone in your life who you could learn a lot from, and you're leveraging their experience and their advice. And it could be your parent, or it could be your best friend or your relative. Just Find someone who inspires you, right? Yeah, I definitely leverage my dad whenever I start a new job or if I'm doing interviews, whether it's me, you know, venting to him about the struggles that I'm having in this process and having him be like, look, take a step back. This is what you need to do. These are the things you need to look at. And as hard as he is, I think on himself, he's never been that hard on me. He's never made me feel like this is it get this job or anything else. He's just like, if this doesn't work out, this wasn't the job for you. You're smart. You're capable. You're hardworking. You're going to find another job. So That's beautiful. So we typically like to ask, what is the one advice that you would give our listeners? But you can either answer that or maybe share some advice that your dad has given you that has had a huge impact on your life. 100%. And I think about this all the time. So both my mom and my dad, I think it's my mom, first and foremost, because she sees how hard I can be on myself sometimes where I feel the need to be perfect or to know everything and to have it all figured out. And she said that, you know, your father was might not be the smartest man in the room or know all the answers, but he sure as hell acts like he is. So I've kind of kept that with me and I feel it all the time. I feel it when I get scared on a call. I feel it when I'm in front of a customer and I don't know the answer. Just act like you do. Just act like you know what you're doing and believe in yourself. Because if you trust yourself, then whoever it is that you're working with, even if you're not in sales, just in life, those people are going to trust you too. And as soon as you can learn to just trust yourself and go with whatever flow it is, even if it sucks, even if that flow pulls you in completely opposite direction, trust that it's going to work out because you know that you can figure it out. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And it reminds me of that. That Dilbert quote that says, you can get anywhere in life if you look serious and carry a clipboard. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Awesome. So what is one thing that you fundamentally believed in 
that you changed your mind on after this process? Yeah, I think it goes back to a little bit what I was touching on earlier. I think I fundamentally believed that you could just be taught how to be successful. And this is going to be very contradictory and very controversial, I think, because there are people that spend their lives trying to replicate Steve Jobs and try to like find the secret of success. This is so difficult to say, but I think that I believe now that the secret of success is just really you figuring out how you're going to do exactly it is what you want to do. If you don't know what you want to do, you might not be that successful right now. Just figure out what you want to do and then go after it. Find a direction, find a path. And even if you don't have a clear path, walk in that direction. The path will find you. So I think the one thing I believed before, and especially when you're fresh out of college and you're reading a bunch of books and you're trying to find like the best places to go and the best degree to have is that, you know, you can be taught how to be successful. And there is a degree of that that's truth, but you will only be successful if it comes from within. Yeah. And also like being willing to learn like that quality mm-hmm. that you were talking about and surrounding yourself by friends and family that can kind of like guide you in the right way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Approach yourself as a product, right? We wrote a blog post a couple of months ago about how the first product you build is yourself. Like, mm-hmm. if you know how to sell yourself, then you'll be able to sell anything else. Sell yourself. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, just the last question. I know we talked about it a little bit, and things that you could learn. Like, was there any books that you've read about sales or any online resources? I mean, I know I mentioned a book before that was related to art. It's actually the twelve million dollars sales chart, not the four million one. But is there any like books that you would be like, this is the best sales book I've ever read? So I do have sales books. There's The Psychology of Selling. That's really interesting for me because I like the dynamics of knowing exactly the personal interaction, maybe less of like, you know, understand the product and go from objection handling to cold call closing and all the steps and more of like the persona find out the personas of the people you're selling to. So the psychology of selling, I know I've heard it before. You guys have probably heard it, solution selling. And those are my two favorite ones. This is kind of out of the box. I read a lot of books that don't have anything to do with selling in terms of, I read a lot of books about mindfulness. And I know that you asked for a sales book, but this honestly helps me in my sales because it helps me to have a balanced and even keeled mind. Because in sales, it is up and down. I know that I can go from having the best week that I've had all quarter to the very next week having not closed a single deal. How do I not let that stress me out? How do I come into the next call that I have that could potentially be the biggest deal and not already being upset or worried about you know whatever else that happens? So find a book that settles your mind. I, I, it doesn't need to be religious or anything like that or spiritual, but that would work for me. Awesome. And that kind of like goes towards the the athlete type of thing too, where like you might be the best three-point shooter and you shoot an air ball. And if you dwell on that, like you might have a bad rest of the game, but you got to kind of keep moving forward yeah. because the, the game's not over till it's over. Exactly. And there's another, my, like my, on the topic of awareness and mindfulness, I think Power of Now is a great book where he talks about like the ego and then how do you disconnect yourself from like being attached to certain like, I don't know, things that society makes you feel like that's what like success is. Mm -hmm. And then once you're able to detach yourself, then you're actually focusing on what's important. And in any job in sales or engineering or anything else, if you're always like going after what everyone else praises, then when you don't accomplish it, then you feel like you're Mm -hmm. failure. But if you know for yourself what's important and what 
you're going to define as success, then you're most likely won't be as disappointed. And it sounds like you've been able to internalize it in some ways. Yeah, I think I have a little bit figured out. I sure <laughs> have a long way to go. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So what is uh, the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Are you on any social media or email? I am on social media. A lot of my Twitter was highly connected to my startup because I, you know, you got to get the word out. I would say email though, because you never know what company I'm going to be at in the next couple of months. So yeah, my email is great. I always answer my personal email as well. So what's that email address? It is E-R-A-C-I-O-P-P at gmail.com. Nice. We'll include it in the show notes. All right. Thank you for spending time with us and we'll keep in touch. Thanks, Thanks, Emily. It was super interesting and we hope that uh, it encourages some people to get into sales. Thank you guys so much. This was so much fun. For sure. Thanks. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.